and welcome back to another episode of Henry Weston's Old Mate, the podcast. I am, of course, Stuart. I am talking turf today, and I have got, I think the first time on the pod, I have got a former greenkeeper. His name is Ricky Jakes. Uh, I'm looking at him on the screen. Before I go over and ask Ricky to introduce himself, I'm just going to ask you as the listeners to please like, rate, and review our little podcast. Uh, if you like the content, share us about, you know, if you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify or any of them, just scroll below, give us a five-star review. And if you've listened to enough episodes, it will allow you to write a written review. It all helps with the algorithm. We're not here to generate money, but if we can get the word out of any of the content we're putting out, please, please help us do that. Ricky Jakes, um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing, sir? Uh, it's my pleasure, and I'm doing very well, thanks. Very well. And we've, um, like I say, introduced you as a former greenkeeper, only just a former greenkeeper. You've moved away from the industry and started something that is completely not with greenkeeping. We're going to get on to that later on in the episode. But um, if you'd be so kind, Ricky, from a turf perspective, could you give us a brief history, if you will, of your career in turf? Brief history. So I yeah. I did greenkeeping at Wedding Garden City Golf Club out of um secondary school work experience so i i can't remember how old i was 13 or 14 done it for a week and i absolutely loved it um being out in the sunshine i don't think it rained uh the guys were a great crack and stuff like that so after that week uh, a couple of weeks later uh, brett the course manager gave me a call when i was on holiday with my family and said like there's a part-time job going if you want it like the weekends just six till 8 30 in the morning raking bunkers so yeah, I jumped on that. I was walking probably 50 minutes to get to the golf club. There's days when I got um, taxis, which now is dumb as hell. But I remember getting a taxi that cost more than the wage I was making. So it was like, um, yeah, I, I didn't think about the money side of things when, when that was going on. But no, I just fell in love with the job. As soon as the school holidays came along, uh, I was working every single day. I remember my first my first school holidays, I worked 21 days straight. And I remember Brett saying, you need to have a day off now because you're going to burn out. <laughs> I was just addicted to it. And then fast forward maybe 12 years, I got a deputy course manager job at the Shire London in Barnet. And then I moved on to Letterworth Golf Club and then went down to Surrey at the Wisley Golf Club, which um, was unbelievable the, the course you, sorry, when were you at the Wisley Ricky 2000 and maybe uh 2017 maybe oh, I was there in oh, no no further than that actually maybe 2014 I was there in 2013 so we just missed each other no way yeah was Chris Durrant still there no right. he, uh, he would have been deputy Steve was Steve in charge or had Steve left the Wisley yeah Steve, no, I don't remember Steve. John Lockyer. John had took over from Steve, so yeah. Yeah, right, okay, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was there twenty. I only did four months. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, sorry, we've we've. I've interrupted you because we. I, I, there was going to be a potential that we worked together and didn't even know it, but at the Wisley, <laughs> that's possible because there is a lot of greenkeepers. Sorry, yeah. so you ended up at the Wisley. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, sorry. yeah, I was only there for four, six months or something like that, and then Brett said that there's a job going as his deputy back at wedding, so. At that time, I was I was driving 50 minutes in the morning with no traffic to the Wisley. And then when I changed back to Wedding, it took me, I timed it, it took me 90 seconds because <laughs> I lived on the course boundary at the time. So, yeah, that, that was that. And then I think I'd done eight years as the deputy. I funded my own HNC halfway through my HND. So that was about £800 a year I was paying out of my own money, doing most of it in my own time. So I was really into like greenkeeping, soil science, all, all everything greenkeeping. I just loved Ma uh, managing people, everything. I was I was just loved. And then COVID hit, and then um, prior to just prior to COVID, I, I was quite into nutrition and stuff. So then I kind of my mindset went away from greenkeeping, and then I was just addicted. I've got an addictive personality, and then I was just because I was all in greenkeeping, like H and C, H and D level, done my level three, and all those things. Uh, I used to study grass and all that sort of like proper dorky with it, like stuff that wouldn't even make a difference. But I, I just loved it. And then um, and then I fell into the nutrition and then I just went addicted to that as well. And now maybe I think six weeks ago now I left the industry. 
Yeah, I, I did have the. I had your tweet up in front of me. I think that would be about right. I was re, I read the tweet earlier, so because because I I just wanted to check in my mind how long ago it was, and it was it was probably four or five weeks ago that I first dropped you a message to just see if you'd be interested in coming on, uh, Ricky. It's I always ask people, and it doesn't you. So you you're passionate about greenkeeping and everything greenkeeping, but there's normally you you fell into it as a young man in your in your school holidays you say was there was there a golf connection or was it simply location was it the fact that you lived close to the course because a lot of you know a lot of these young kids don't quite make it in the pro shop and they end up on the greenkeeping team some people live close to the golf course or some someone's mum or dad play golf and they want to get you know they introduce them to the greenkeeper did it purely come about because you were close to the golf course, or is, do you do you, is there a golfing history in the family? Do you were yourself a promising young golfer? I I was pushed into it to be honest by my school because okay. I didn't. You have to back in I don't know year ten or year nine or whenever it was. You had to choose where you wanted to go for work experience, like maybe three places, and then they pick somewhere for you. And I didn't pick anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so then they just sent me to the golf club and i remember i turned up on the monday and um brett sent me back he was like we didn't even know you was coming so I, I went back home and come back after they'd done the morning setup uh but yeah there was no there was nothing about it no one in my family played golf didn't even know where the golf club was um nothing about it, it was only a stone's throw away from my school as well and i didn't even know it was there so that's how little i knew about anything to do with golf and that's that's really interesting because I mean, I've I've had previous or recent chats on this podcast on on the turf chats that uh, a lot of you know where I currently work at Westgate and Birchington Golf Club. There are two secondary schools on the course boundary at various points on the course boundary, and I think if I walked into either of those schools and asked how many kids knew you could work in golf, I, you might there might be one in a hundred. I'd probably suggest. I, 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 it's an industry that I don't think many people know exist that is a problem within the industry i think i don't know how to answer it it's something me and you might put our heads together later on in this chat and when i ask you know how you what you think about the future of the industry and where it currently sits um so that's interesting so you've mentioned your addictive personality but um you you really you really took it on and that is in my experience, I know as a young greenkeeper who got into greenkeeping accidentally because I needed something to do before I hopefully went off to university to become a PE teacher. Having messed up my A-levels, I, I needed another year. Uh, and I'm still doing it 23, 24 years later. Um, but I would suggest I wasn't like you in the sense that I loved everything about greenkeeping. I think in my first two years, all I loved about greenkeeping was the, the uh, pay packet I got every Thursday. Um, I quite liked being outside. Um, I started greenkeeping late October going into November uh, of a blooming cold winter in 2000, uh, no, 1998, I think I started. So I didn't see myself staying in it. But it sounds to me that once you stepped foot and raked that first bunker, you were you were taken you were taken by the industry. Would it be fair to say that? Yeah, 100%. And I don't, looking back, I don't really know exactly what it was. I always, it's, it's easy to say I like being outside and I like being involved in sports and stuff like that. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was, but yeah, I just, everything I like. And I, I remember just divvying fairways and just thinking like living the dream, raking bunkers on a Sunday morning, just thinking this is, I'm getting, I remember thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Like that was how bizarrely encapsulating the whole thing I was. But do you think, I don't want to put words into your mouth and you might not be able to answer this. Do you, th it sounds to me that you had a good boss and potentially a very good bunch of, I don't want to say lads and guys, cause it's not all male, but it sounds to me that you had a very good work environment. Do you, do you think that could have possibly helped? Because I know certainly in, in some of my experiences early in my career, I did three years at my first golf course. And then the next three, I didn't hang around very long partly because I was at a point in my life where probably enjoying myself at the weekend was quite important. But a lot of it was I went in and just didn't, didn't fit in with the team, not necessarily saying it was the team, the other people's fault, it probably more my fault, but I just thought these people aren't for me and I'm not going to waste my time and their time by hanging around. 
Um, but you, you, I, it sounds to me that you, you landed in a very, with a very good boss and potentially a very good bunch of colleagues. Yeah. As, as I ended up leaving, um, I would say I formed a, a, like a good friendship with the course manager and every single lad in there as well. So yeah, I think that you spend most of your life with the people you work with. You don't really spend any more, any more time with anyone else. So it is a massive thing that if you if you aren't happy with the people you work with, then you're not going to enjoy the job. Doesn't matter what the job is, but yeah, that um that is definitely a good thing. And there's there's obviously been a I mean there's been eighteen years or something, so there's always a bad apple that that tries to spoil the bunch. But at wedding, we we're pretty close knit, and if someone did come in and and try and rock the boat, they were like quickly exited. And I mean, it wasn't like a cult, but yeah. if someone didn't fit in, then they kind of they kind of knew about it and didn't enjoy it because they couldn't rock the boat as much as they wanted to. So they would end up, end up leaving. So the, there's, there's maybe five people that have been there for 20 odd years. So it is, it is quite a good, it, it must be a good team if, if the same people stay there and they enjoy it. But yeah, yeah. It's, um, the, the people do make, do make the work, don't they? Yeah. Like, like you say, we spend, you know, more time with our work colleagues than we do with our, our wives, partners, children, you know, friends, etc. And let's let's sort of, if we can, Ricky, just sort of, you've touched on how you moved up through the industry. So just talk to me or talk to us, explain to us, you know, you want to progress your career. So you've decided you've done, you've, you've, you've done your spell. You've got some qualifications under your belt. So you make that decision. Did you leave Welling to take a deputy position? So did you move from assistant to deputy? Was that the first jump for you? Yeah. And I actually thought it was a step too much for me. So I, cause the, the whole natural ladder is kind of assistant greenkeeper, first assistant deputy. So I thought I should be looking for a first assistant's job. My missus actually went behind my back and sent my CV in. And then I got a call when I was at the gym once and I was like, who the hell is this? And they, they wanted an interview. And I was like, I said to her, did you apply? She's like, yeah. And then ended up getting the job. So it was, uh, it's it's quite funny how you got this self-limiting belief that you're not quite there. Because I think a lot of people want to be the best. And if you're going into a position that's new, you're not going to be the best in that position. And I think that probably scared me away a little bit from applying because I wanted to... I wanted to walk into a job where they're like, oh, my God, please, yeah, we'll have you, rather than going, oh, should we take a chance on him and then having to work extra hard and, and trying to prove myself that I'm just good enough rather than, like, the best in that position. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting, and and you, and you touched on it, you mentioned it there, that I guess most of my experience professionally is within greenkeeping, but I, I assume it, it stands for most other industries that – Within greenkeeping, there is a pattern that you follow, and to an extent, you're expected to follow. And as a, as an assistant greenkeeper, you know, you if you sort of said to your boss, oh, "I'm going to apply for that deputy job," he, I don't know if it's still the same, but I know back back in the day, I don't really like that saying, but people would have been discouraged. You know, the boss would say, "Well, you're probably not ready for that. Um, you know, you need more time under your belt here." Or I don't know. I don't know if we're in it if it's an industry that protects itself from within slightly. I, I I'm not sure, but but I think that I had a, a young man on this podcast whose name has eluded me. I, I apologize, but he is now a very successful uh, excavator driver on the motorways, earning far more money than ever would in greenkeeping. But he left the industry at 23 because he was getting he was he was struggling to find interviews for deputy positions. He wanted to become a deputy at 23. He'd been working at JCB and other golf courses for five years and he wasn't getting interviews. And he made the decision that he wasn't willing to wait the three or four years it's probably going to take him. Um, so talk, could you could you tell us or explain to us, Ricky, how that first experience as deputy went? Because I know from my I took my first deputy position at 27. I moved from Moore St. George's, my first spell there, and took a deputy position at Thorndon Park in Essex, a job that I thought I was prepared for. Uh, and it completely went to shit. It was the worst experience of my career, I think. But how was it for you? I absolutely loved it. I relished taking people under my charge and um trying to lead from the front as much as I could my first my first day 
I worked a half a day with the course manager and then the next day he wasn't even there. So I went from being an assistant greenkeeper in a team of six to then trying to run a golf course that had an extra nine holes, um, an extra like extra areas for practice, like a bigger con, um, a bigger course in general. And then I had 10 guys that were effectively looking to me for what they need to do. But I absolutely loved it. As soon as anything broke, I was, I was right there trying to, trying to like, fix it and learn by doing and i i loved it and i i even remember someone talk like talking to like a mentor and he was like um he he knew quite a lot about the um the course and how it's running he was just like how can you be loving it this much because because he 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 sort of knows the ins and outs of the whole place and I, and I was like mate i just absolutely love it and he's like why and i'm like i don't know i can't tell you i just i just love it but um yeah, no, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the responsibilities and it, it it gave me a lot of confidence in actually being able to run a golf course myself. And then I was just like head first trying to trying to be the best person I can. And then obviously being quite addictive, I was looking into how best to manage people and all all the like the management side of things of being a greenkeeper. Because you get you get to a deputy's position by being a good greenkeeper, but then all of a sudden like I was managing 10 guys that I think nine of them were older than me. And a lot of them had more experience under their belts and stuff like that. So all of a sudden you put in this managerial position where you've got to look after other people and be able to talk to them so that they can respect you and, and listen to what you're saying. And you don't get taught that. No, I mean, my personal opinion, and it is only my opinion. I think the deputy position is the toughest position in greenkeeping. Um, I've, not from personal experience, actually, because my my two experiences as deputy, one didn't last very long at Thorndon Park. And then my second experience was living and working out in the Czech Republic. But uh, we had no golfers. It was a it was a privately owned golf club where nobody played. We didn't even have flags in the greens. Uh, and there was two members of staff below me, but I didn't have to manage them because we, we managed ourselves because we weren't on any time restraint. So but. From what I have witnessed at other places I have worked, I have witnessed deputies flourish and make the most of the situation. And I've seen deputies be absolutely destroyed from those below and above them. Um, and I just wonder how you how you manage, because I don't want to get into I don't want to get into any nasty stories, Ricky, but but in that first deputy position, you've said there was people above or below you who were majority of them were older there must have been a certain amount of sniping from below and questioning your ability um i wonder how you coped with that 100 percent. so the the job was given to me when i don't think it should have been given to me because the guy they should have promoted from within right and the guy whose job i took was obviously well the guy whose job i stepped into before they really gave him a chance. He he was clearly bitter about it, but he wasn't he wasn't a personal dig at me. It was a personal dig at the my organization. Yeah. So I I had to have uncomfortable conversations with him and the team. I, I hate doing that. I hate, I hate the whole like um holding meetings and stuff like that. I, I just think it's too efficient. I don't I don't like that that side of it. But I had to make sure that I had conversations with him. So I had to go around um, working with him and just try and like flesh it out and be like, Look, if, if it was up to me, you'd be getting the job as well. Cause they, he, he was hundred percent ready for that position. And I think he actually left for the position somewhere else. And there, there was, there, there was quite a lot of spitefulness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so um, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a lot of, um, yeah. Like, it's hard to say because it was it was about ten years ago now. Right. But, um. It it wasn't it was a toxic environment that's for sure. But they, the, the greenkeepers, were really bitter towards the organisation and the owners. And it wasn't it wasn't a a dig at me or the course manager. It was they didn't want to do the work for the people that were paying them. But you know we're we're stuck in the middle trying to trying to motivate people to do just their job, and they're like, don't want to do it. So like. I was stuck in the middle because I was so passionate about it and I wanted everyone to win, whereas they were kind of butting heads from the from the ground up pretty much. It wasn't easy. And if 
it, I wouldn't say I was successful at it because I left because yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it because I, I felt like I was a scapegoat for a lot of things. If something went wrong, I remember one time um, I wasn't even working a weekend and the guy didn't lock up and it was my fault. And I'm just like, how I, I don't get how everything seems to be falling on my shoulders. I can't go every single day to lock up. Like everything seemed to be my fault. And I was just like, they just want to scapegoat. This is from the owners as well, not just the greenkeepers. Like it seemed to be my fault. And I remember like I'm the happiest, most optimistic person. And that was the only time I Googled stress to see what the symptoms of stress were. I was 23 and I'd never felt a stressful time in my life. And I was like, what is, why do I hate, why do I hate going into work now? And I loved it at the beginning. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was successful in it because I left. I mean, that is people listening to this will, you know, that sadly is probably more common than it is uncommon circumstances like that. And um, I don't think anyone would blame anyone for, 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 for looking to get out of that situation. I myself have, have not left management positions, but like I said earlier, I have, I have left assistant positions simply because of the fact that after a very short period of time at certain golf clubs, I have not wanted to get in my car to go to work. And you're just thinking that the first time you experience it, you're not really sure what's going on. And then you very quickly realize this can't be right. Um, but I've got to go to work. Everyone has to, you know, you can't not go to work and you've got things that you need to pay for. Even as a young person living at home, you still need money and you know, it's not the right thing to do, not going to work. But I worked at one particular place where I must've gone through the excuses of being sick. I must've gone through the book three or four times in the first year I worked there. It was embarrassing looking back, but I really hated that environment. Um, and so much. Um, so, you moved on from that position, Ricky. Were you were you fortunate enough to land somewhere a bit more positive after that and and progress again? Because I would imagine that situation could have put a twenty three year old young man off greenkeeping. Yeah, definitely could. Um, yeah, I I left that place with nowhere to go. I I remember I had a meet, I had a probation meeting after three months, and I remember talking to the owners, and I was just like, "You guys are just dicks!" Like, and I, and I just couldn't stand them. And they, they were like, "Right, we'll give you another month. Um, let's see, let's see if we can turn this around." And I was like, "I'm my eight hour day is worth their forty hour week. Like, you you're looking at the wrong. You're trying to scapegoat the wrong person here, but." I remember walking out of that meeting and just thinking, I'm just going to leave. Like, I'm not going to give them another month of of my dedication and my time and stuff. So I, I just left. And then word got around quick, with maybe within two or three days. And the course manager, Letra, Matt, he, he, I think he gave me a call or a text or um, someone said to me that he's looking for someone if I'm interested. And then straight away, I was I was working there just as an assistant and worked, worked there for maybe six months and then... Um, but yeah, I kind of fed on my feet there because I I wasn't looking for anything and it kept me in the industry because it, it could have easily put me off, like you say. But yeah, the fact that that was there straight away, that, that helped me stay in the industry for sure. I don't know what I would have done if that caused and I don't know if I would have looked elsewhere. I probably would have kept looking because I was I was properly keen on greenkeeping. How did you how did you cope in that situation? Because I know from again a bit of personal experience that I didn't do well in my first deputy position, but my second deputy position in, in the Czech Republic, I was fortunate. It was a very privileged position where I learned a lot on not necessarily, I just learned a lot from a very good boss, Mick Watson, a, a Scottish man. And I just learned a lot of good greenkeeping from Mick and, and management skills. Uh, some may argue that. And I came back and Although I ended up going leaving the industry for a period of time to study to be a to be a teacher, but I came back and in my jobs after the Czech Republic, they were they were jobs at the assistant level, and I didn't know what my place was in the team. My place in the team was an assistant greenkeeper because that's what my contract said. But I had, I believed I had a certain amount of experience within the industry and a certain amount of experience guiding people and trying to get the best out of them but I struggled when it sort of I wasn't sure if I was offering advice and if if the deputy or the first assistant wasn't around and I might 
try and guide certain team members. Some would react well, some wouldn't react particularly well, and some would grasp me up when the deputy got back and sort of suggest that Stu might be gunning for your job. How did you cope going into that assistant position coming out of uh, the deputy? Yeah, that that for me was easy to be honest. Um, I I was still looking elsewhere. That was that was always a temporary job. So I was I was applying for course manager jobs when I was an assistant at Letchworth. That that was how much I was like bigger picture. I'm gonna I want to run my own golf course and all that sort of thing. So I was only thinking that was short term, unless the deputy there was to leave, and then I would put all my eggs in that basket and be like, look, I know I can do the job and, and whatever, but. There'll be loyalties to the other assistants there as well. So um, it would it would have been hard if I did get the deputy's job in front of other people as I was just quite new. But I didn't I didn't I didn't struggle, I don't think, because my mindset was it was only temporary. And I think if the guys that get offended when you try and help them, I think that's a them problem, not a you problem. That's that's just them trying to tickle their ego and think oh why are you telling me what's done better than you but if they don't want to listen to advice that's worthy of listening to then that's just only going to bite them in the arse so yeah. yeah that's them problem yeah no that's a very good point um so you what's your so what was the next step i've i've, I've um so you're at letchworth you're applying for head greenkeeper jobs you've been a you know you've been a successful deputy where, what what happened from there then, Ricky? What was the next move? Around March, I think it was, um, John Lockyer at the Wisley actually got in touch with me via LinkedIn. Oh, okay. I think, I think that was in response to an old old post I put up about um, looking for a job when I left the Shire. Um, and then he responded, oh, if you're still looking we're, um, if you're still looking for a job, we've got a space available. So I, um, I had to look at the golf course and I thought, cool, that was bloody nice like that's right up my street I was all attention to detail everything was like defined trying to get everything looking perfect so I was like this is right up my street so then I went there and had a look around it didn't realize how long it was going to take me to get there because it was in Surrey so I had to go down the M25 uh turned up just in time had a look around and I was totally sold in by the by the quality the standard of everything there I was just like that is yeah that is 100% a bit of me so uh, they they got back to me in a few days and said, "This is the the salary. What size are you? And what size boots are you? What size shirt are you?" They're all like, they're really good with it. Really the lady, what's the lady in the office? I've still got her on my contact. Jane. 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 Jane organizes all that, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. What? So, yeah. She was on the board with that, and um, as soon as I saw the what they were offering, I was like, "Well, it's." It's the move I need to make, and I'm just going to have to bite the bullet with the with the fuel and the the damage to the car. Because I think I had an old Peugeot 206 that was ready to break. I had a 206 when I worked at the Wisley, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you're at the Wisley. Um, what nine holes did you end? Or when I I should say when I worked at the Wisley, I, I assume it was probably the, still the same practice. Also, I I became a a part of a small crew on the is it the mill. Uh, the mill, mill church and I was on the garden oh yeah so I I mean I was only there four months and I'll be honest I didn't really see the other nine holes I just spent all my time on the nine that I was assigned to um so that was a, that was I mean it is a fantastic place to work isn't it I remember when I was working there I'd, I'd worked at prestigious golf courses more links you know high-end links golf and and out in the czech republic was a sort of a growing project but i'd never experienced what i would have in my naivety then described as american style golf you know at the attention to detail i remember i'd been drinking quite a while but i'd never i left the shed on my fairway mower possibly and was told that i had a dedicated blower behind me i know i was on the rough mower and I was told, oh, such and such will follow you and he'll be blowing your grass clippings. And and that kind of blew my mind. I thought, wow, we really are, um, you know, paying attention to detail. Um, Wisley, where did we go from the Wisley then, Ricky? That was then back to Welling where I ended. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. So so that was, so the Wisley back to Welling as deputy again. Yeah. So, well, again, that was that was my first time as deputy at Welling. Welling yeah. yeah. Okay. And and that was did you say that was that was the last eight years of your turf career then? Yeah. 
let's let's move forward at a reasonable rate. I don't want to seem like it's rushed, but I mean that is your career. I I hate using the word sort of standard, but it sounds like you've done things in in the very correct and professional way. You've progressed at a very good rate, uh, and you have you've moved up through the ranks. I'd probably a bit quicker than some some would suggest you should, but you've ended up back at Welling, and we're going to get on to where you've gone from there. But in the last in the last couple of years of your career, Ricky, because it's it, in it's the, it's two years I've been doing this podcast, and we've tried to address some of the issues that have not come up in the last two years. But you know, everyone knows that within the industry. People are leaving at a reasonable rate um, and we're not recruiting at a rate to sort of fill the spaces. And it's always been said within greenkeeping that they're probably people aren't being paid enough money uh, and they're being asked to work too many hours, particularly at weekends. Can I ask you where you think the industry currently sits, Ricky, with regards to its is it for you? Because you could, I don't want to put words in your mouth. In your opinion, is is the industry in a strong or weak position? What what are your thoughts on the the current stats of the amount of people who are leaving? And you know, and and we we're struggling to recruit any age demographic. You know, I've done podcasts with lecturers, and they tell me that the classrooms are full of people who want to be greenkeepers. They leave, and then the numbers from Hadlow College are suggesting that they are they enter the industry and they're out within 12 to 14 months. Um, what are your thoughts on the, on the overall strength or lack of strength at the industry currently, Ricky? I think it might be harsh to say it's in dire straits. I don't, think I, I don't think it's in a good position at all. And I don't think it's looking positive for the future either, especially like, I mean, I sound like I've been conspiracy theorist, but especially with like, robots cutting grass now you think what what do you even need people for now like you don't need people for anything now so it, it if we look at the beginning where we we i think greenkeepers are struggling to well course managers are struggling to get trainees in because the wage isn't there for for kids yeah and i i was going because i just moved over to the isle of man from london i i was going through my old um wage tips and I was getting paid three pound an hour and I don't know what the minimum wage is now but it's, I yeah, it's, it's under 18s is something I think you can still get away with paying people five quid if they're under 18 it's something horrific there's there's ba barely any any kids out there now that are going to work hard like greenkeeping at the beginning as well is it's a manual labor job and you're getting kicked up the arse by the older people that are doing less work than you anyway so they're, they're not going to stay in a job that expects a lot and doesn't doesn't um, reflect it on your wages. So getting people in is hard. Like when, when, so someone at my golf club has just left as an assistant. If they had to bring someone new in, which they're quite fortunate, they've got um, a few kids that do weekends, so they'll just promote one of them and give them a full-time job. But they would really struggle to recruit a 17 year old who wants to buy a car and stuff like that and then give him minimum wage and expect him to work his ass off in the winter as well and being out in the out in the rain in their smelly waterproofs raking bunkers and almost having like a thankless job but then even when you get to like my position as a deputy doing it for almost two decades and almost being qualified up to hnd which you know i i, I said before i paid for myself and i've done most of it in my own time it financially it wasn't it wasn't the, a big decision on my half financially because i wasn't leaving a 70 grand job yeah i was i was leaving i was leaving a job that was paying less than average wage for the entire like county that i was in not just greenkeeping and, and not like the london wage because we were just outside london but if if my current business didn't work out i wouldn't be gutted and try and get back into greenkeeping i would stack shelves a little for about the same amount of money and it's unfortunate, but it is the truth. And I'll have no stress doing shelf stacking. It will be mind-numbingly boring, but it, it, the, the wage isn't going to be much different. And I haven't spent 18 years stacking shelves and getting really good at it, which I I, I feel like I did at Greenkeeping. Like I spent a long time 
trying to be the best at what I could do, then I could just go and stack shelves in Niddle and, and then maybe a pound less an hour or a hundred pound less a month. And it's it's like a easy job that it's it be easy to fall into. It's fright it's it's frightening for me. And um I have been head greenkeeper for a year now, my first my first go at that role. Uh, and I took a slight pay cut to take the role up. Um, fortunately, I could, you know, I've added, well, I, I move for pretty much the same wage, but I now drive 20 miles further a day. So you can imagine I'm losing the fuel money. So I'm earning the same, but I'm actually a little bit worse off. That was my decision. I'm not griping about that. Um, I know my co I work at a small little golf club, uh, a very well run little golf club, but it doesn't generate much money they're a small they're a members club and the, the the subs is brings the main amount of money in and it's supplemented somewhat by some green fees in the occasional society but we don't pay um our assistance as much as potentially we could but i've been having this chat with other people ricky on the podcast i've been having this chat with uh, I had a pre-budget meeting today because my budget for some reason starts on the 1st of October. So we're currently in the position of setting next year's budget. Um, and I had a very open and honest chat with the chairman of directors who, who sort of we, we're trying to set the budget for next year. And, you know, we're not sure how we're meant to generate the income needed to give everyone a substantial pay rise. I think I, well, I know what I do is I would pass a lot of it on to the membership. But there is a huge concern, rightly or wrongly, that our subs are somewhere between, I think they're £950. Um, and the belief is that if they increase that by, let's say, £150 to £1,100, that a lot of members will leave. I don't think they will, but I don't know how. What would... Would you have any do, do do you have any thoughts on on how we're going to how could we increase the wages within Greekkeeper? Because I know for a fact my golf club aren't sitting on a pot of gold. It's not that they're holding it back. They I think they would give it to us if they had it. They simply don't have it. It might not be the right answer, but how how do we go? I've asked other people and we never seem to be able to answer it. How do we generate more money? I think we add it onto the golf. I think the golf will pay it. What do you think? Tough question. Yeah. The thing is, if we knew the answer, then we'd be doing that and then everyone would be happy. Well, maybe other than the golfers that have to pay an extra £100. But even when, say, the rate of inflation is 8% and the membership goes up 4%, they're still going to throw their toys out the pram because they've got to pay more. And they're like, oh, I'm not getting anything extra and all that stuff. It's like, well, it's just, it's just the way it goes with inflation and stuff. There's, I don't think if there was a, a right answer that was bulletproof, then everyone would be doing it and we wouldn't be in that situation. I don't think it helps that you could walk, you could pull someone off the street and say, here's how to use a fairway mower. And then within a week, they could probably do it as well as an assistant that's been doing it for six years. That doesn't help trying to get people more money. But if there was, an answer that was as clear as day we we well you'd not weed now you'd all yeah. be doing it and everyone would be happy and and you get you'd be getting a 17 year old in on 21 grand living the dream and being happy probably still demanding a little bit more money but everyone would be like satisfied with it yeah it's it's really tough isn't it and um so we where do you do you because i've i've proposed um or i've suggested that going forward could you I, I could see a point in the greenkeeping industry where say a staff of four has to be, a staff of five becomes a staff of four and that fifth wage goes on to the four to bring the money up but the golfers would then have to expect probably the rough is cut a little bit less um, you know, the attention to detail with the strimmers is is not quite up to what it was because we've lost 40 man hours. But your guys are happy. They're probably not looking around. You know, they've got a bit of job security. Um, do you, again, it's always a tough question, but I ask everyone, can you see a future of golf where golf club members start to accept a lowering of standards? Not a chance. 
<laughs> not a chance in hell. They're always going to expect more and more, and they're going to ex- and they're not going to expect to pay for more and more either. They're, that's just the nature of golf, I think. Members, I haven't set you up for that question for the listeners. I kind of <laughs> knew what the answer was going to be, but um, it's but but this is the thing, isn't it, Ricky? And we're in industry is in a position where, and again, I, I repeat myself. I'm paying more for my sand. I'm paying more for my diesel. The guy delivering my sand is charging us more because he's paying more for his diesel. Everything's going up. And we want, if I, if I laughed because the the, the club considered putting the fees up 20 pounds a year. And I said, that's one pound 50 on the direct debit a month or whatever it is to, you know, just under. And I laughed. I said, these these people, you know, the price of cheese has gone up eighty percent or whatever. These people are still eating cheese sandwiches. They're still buying cheese in the supermarket, so they will pay. If you, I still believe, if you put fifteen pound on their direct debit, fifty p a day, I think they'll still pay it. But it's it's blooming hard. Um, Ricky, I'm 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 waffling on a bit, and I know time is going on. Let's move forward, and I want to ask you about. So you have, I'm not going to butcher it. Tell us, explain to us why, not why you've left the industry. We'll ask you that later. But you have left the industry. What are you doing with yourself now? It's actually, it's actually a real big moment in my life, actually, because I've, I've left my job that I was in for 18 years. And I've also left my home that I was in for 33 years. And I've up and I'm up, up to moves country. I don't know. I think it's, considered a different country but i'm now located in flag on the island man yeah you do have a flag as of sunday so it's all a little bit bizarre to me like it's so new like i've, I've moved country and i've moved jobs like totally different careers so um yeah it's, it's a it's almost like a lost feeling for me at the moment because i know exactly what i want to do i don't know exactly where i want to be but um yeah getting like structure to my days now because I work for myself is it's it's a bizarre feeling so I have to like write down I just yes this morning I was writing a canon a google calendar which I've never used before what I'm doing at eight to eleven and then what I'm going to do for an hour and then what I'm going to do for the next three hours so I know exactly what I'm going to do because it's all so new to me putting so much more time and energy into it so it's um it's a bit of a strange moment it's, this week has been strange anyway so you're you're now an online nutrition and fitness coach is that fair is that what you do or have i have i have i butchered it no no to people that know what that is then yeah that's that's perfectly summed up but it's it's almost like online personal training but with a lot of emphasis on the nutrition side which personal trainers don't really touch because you only get an hour in a gym doing bench press and squatting and stuff like that and then they leave you to it for 23 hours of the day so So, sorry carry on i interrupted carry on ricky sorry so doing it online, I, I did the the whole personal trainer thing up until September, where I only actually trained like celebrities in quotes for the people not watching, but um, like the blue tick people and the influencers and stuff like that. There was maybe six or seven influencers that I used to train in their private gyms. And even, even though they were like athletes and some of them were like um, pretty much used their body for their like work, the people I would coach online who have more of my time they would be getting a lot better results. So I even stopped training like these high um, high profile influencers to focus solely on the online stuff because it was just so much better for results. And I was like, I'm quite results orientated and I want to be seeing like differences in people and, and how their mindset shifts. Whereas it's all like good fun training with like high profile people, but it was taking me away from my business that I want to put my future into. So I stayed true to myself i think and and stuck with the nutrition coaching and then obviously i set out training programs for my online clients as well but they don't need to spend time with me we talk via whatsapp and we have like a weekly coaching call and then we we constantly back and forth whenever they need attention so that every single day can be saved if they're about to fall down a pitfall and if they got anything coming up we can navigate around it and it's not it's not about because most of my stuff i'd say 99 of my stuff is about fat loss it's not about dieting every day. It's about finding the exact thing that is going to work perfectly for your individual lifestyle. So that if you're going out for your 40th birthday, 
we don't need to think oh i can only have two beers because i'm che- i'm watching my calories it's about like balancing everything and and creating like some food morals and some guidelines and and staying within them most of the time but every day isn't a diet so it's I do, as, as we said off air and people listening to this will know that I have been on a little weight loss journey of my own with my with my younger brother and I've done quite well uh, a lot of hit and miss some good weeks some bad weeks but I majority of the weeks I managed to do what I set out to do but I did it from the the most basic basic standpoint I just counted my calories and I reduced my calorie intake um it's funny. I, I in the year so in 2022, I ran 1150 miles for the year uh, and lost one pound. And I was I was trying to lose weight, but I just assumed if I ran 25 30 miles a week, I would lose weight. When I look back and when I started counting my calories, it it turns out that if you run six miles then eat two pizzas with garlic bread and ice cream. You don't create any sort of calorie deficit. <laughs> but I think maybe I'd love to get you on, Ricky, and talk about this with my brother actually, because we're not we're not into fitness, but we we went on this little journey together. And um, so let's let's get it back to a turf point, just briefly before we end here, Ricky, because I want this whole chat you have come across as a very passionate well-spoken, intelligent individual who put his heart and his soul into an 18-year greenkeeping career. Uh, I'm not going to ask you why you left, because that's none of my business. But what I do want to ask you is how tough you found it. And I know you said off air, and I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the podcast, that that COVID threw a spanner into the works of the world, didn't it? Um, And it's probably where you started this some of your online stuff but how tough was it for you to leave an industry that you were obviously very passionate and about and dedicated to well i wouldn't actually say it was tough to be honest but it's it's not inherently down to the to the greenkeeping career it's more down to my passion just lied somewhere else and I'd it, it got to a point quite early on in like my nutrition journey that I wanted to work on my own so I could listen to podcasts. So I'd 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 I'm a greenkeeper. I listen to loads. Yeah. <laughs> so I I wanted to be doing stuff where I don't have to talk to anyone else, which is so bad for someone in a management position because you have to still be talking to other people. But I mean, I didn't let it affect me too much. But I always wanted to be doing something on my own on a machine. So I've just plugged in my podcast. And I'll be half concentrating on cutting the fairway and then fully concentrating on, oh my God, yeah, I didn't think about that thing. Oh yeah, I'll try that with my clients. And that I learned so much from podcasts and from listening to trainings. And I was I was in mentorships for like nutrition coaching. So I'd listen to nutrition stuff while I was supposed to be working. So that all that done was just fertilized my passion. <laughs> I like um, it. <laughs> for the uh, for the nutrition and it was just a case of when that was all it was it wasn't if it was just when uh when am i going to do it and i was getting people sales reps messaging me saying oh there's a job coming up at this place and this place and this place i was like, not interested in the slightest there wasn't even an inkling in me that thought could i do both could i become a course manager and then see what nutrition does i was just like that's just going to be a um a distraction for me now because i'd i'd want to prep for the i'd still want to get the job even though I didn't care about it, I would still want to get the job. So, yeah, it was it wasn't tough, but not because I I didn't like the golf club or the greenkeeping in general. It was just because I was so in so into my nutrition and my coaching and my clients. And I think that is, you know, the way you have just explained that has come across as very sincere. It's you, you know, you haven't, you know, you I. I gave you an opportunity there to potentially slag off or the industry that you've left is not suggesting you chose you you've just explained to us wonderfully well and it's really nice you know your time in greenkeeping that 18 years that you've talked about in the majority seemed to be very happy and very successful you have just found something that you are more 
passionate about. And and like you say, if maybe if someone had knocked on your door and said, look, the job's up at the Wisley and they want you to do it. It sounds to me that, that you know, not in a bad way, but you'd, you'd have said no, because this, you know, your nutrition coaching is the direction you want your life to take. And I'm sure me saying it won't count for much, but it sounds Ricky that, that if you were able to make that decision as easily and as sort of definitively in your head, I'm sure that is why you are successful and will continue to be successful in this. And if this is what you do for the rest of your life, or there might be something that comes that we could have a chat in 10 years time and you could be off doing something completely different of which I'm sure you'll be very successful. And Ricky, I always give the guests a chance to promote themselves if they will, or if you would like to, to plug the business or discuss something that we haven't quite touched on. Is there anything you want to sort of round off the podcast with Ricky? All I would say is that if you've, listen to 55 minutes of me talking about myself in Greenkeeper and then um give me a message on Twitter and I'll send over a recipe book that I send over to my clients to help them keep the weight off and, and shift off some excess body fat pounds. Um or the best place to find me and and learn about weight loss and how to stop the yo-yo dieting and your mindset around dieting and diet psychology, all these sort of things. Um, Instagram is the main place you can find me, which is it'd be Ricky Jake's online physique coaching. Um, and I'm I'm just on there every day trying to trying to spread the good word of of dieting and weight loss and um doing it in the best way possible. So yeah, if you've if you've listened this far, then um as a thank you from me, I'll I'll send you over a recipe book if you let me know that you've listened and um yeah, we'll we'll hopefully um we'll get we'll get some conversations going and I can send over some recipe packs. And like the good podcasting host that I meant to be, I will include all of Ricky's details in the show notes. And I will. Sometimes I say that and I forget, but this is actually very important to me, Ricky, because you have come on and you have given a wonderful podcast. Uh, and I would like to do my small bit, if possible, to at least help you, you know, be even more successful in what you're doing now. Um, Ricky, I... I think there would be a really interesting and fun podcast for you to come back and talk to me and Alex uh, because we went on our little journey, both very successfully, both knocked off over 30 pounds, but we stumbled through it. Um, I think I, I I wonder how more successful we could have been with something like your expert guidance. Ricky Jakes, thank you for being a wonderful guest on Henry Weston's Old Mate the Podcast. I'd like to think I'm going to have more chats of you going forward. Um, but for now, thank you for coming on. No, I appreciate it and I appreciate your time.